So thank you for joining us today, Emma, from the First World Memorial Programme. Um, we're just going to ask you a few more questions about the kind of work you do and your involvement within the First World War and the monuments that come out of it. Um, so to start with, in terms of your research, which compares memorial processes in the UK, France and the USA, could you please give a sense of the way that memorialisation has changed since the First World War and also what you think might be in store for the next 100 years? Oh gosh, that's an interesting, <laughs> a small question to start with. Um, so how it's changed since the First World War? As in how First World War commemoration or commemoration in general? Because I think there's two separate general, things. So yeah. the First World War commemoration, I think um, the, the primary change has been the locality of where we want to commemorate. Mm. So I think most of First World War and earlier commemorations was very um, community-based. And it was about bringing the memory of those who have died back into the community. Whereas I think now there is this shift to have people recognised at a national level. So rather than people being commemorated potentially in a site that is in some way related to their experience or their service, it's at national sites like the National Memorial Arboretum mm -hmm. or in more visible places because it's more about the narrative of um, you know, giving a voice to those who were excluded rather than necessarily for people who have you know, actively experienced conflict and lost um, loved ones mm -hmm. and you know, having a focus for the bereaved. I think that's probably the main shift that I've seen in the last hundred years. Mm. And where do you see it going in the next hundred years or so? Um, that's a <laughs> million dollar question. Um, in terms of continuing commemoration of, of past conflicts, I think we'll still continue to commemorate for the foreseeable future, mm -hmm. probably, because there is this interest. I think programmes like the, the First World Memorial Programme, whose aim is to conserve those objects mm. um, for the foreseeable future. Um, but I think there will be much more, as we've discussed today, much more of a digital focus to, yeah. um, to remembrance. You know, most people don't have the time or the resources to go and visit all of these memorial sites, but they can you know, look at pictures of them. Mm -hmm. um, people who do visit you know, Instagram photos or put selfies on, I think that digital legacy um, will become part of the commemoration. I think that's quite interesting in terms of it's the, not just the memorialisation, but it's the experience of commemoration that's becoming part of that memorial legacy, if that makes, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I definitely think we'll see much more of the, kind of, as we were talking about the Jeremy Della, we're mm. here because we're here, um, the poppies and you know, the images that were associated with the Paul Cummings works, that kind of commemoration yeah. as opposed to people physically you know, visiting a, a stone monument. And um, we were talking a bit earlier about um, this phrase memorial mania yeah. and what that kind of represents and in terms of who's being commemorated, can you see it going in a different direction now and um, marginalised people having their voice and their kind of history um, erected in these monuments? Yeah, so I love the term memorial mania, I can't say it's uh, Erica Doss, an American yeah. um, scholar, kind of coined this term for um, was the last kind of 10, 15 years of this real obsession with putting up memorials mm. um, and as we were just saying it's this idea that marginalised groups want to have their particular conflict experience memorialised and it's not necessarily about building one memorial that's inclusive but about having these individual monuments that, that commemorate particular conflict experiences so I used the example of the Japanese American um, memorial yeah. where it's this kind of layered trauma so it isn't just the trauma of fighting and going through the conflict it's the trauma of not being recognized but it's also the trauma of 
you know, being oppressed and, and racism whilst serving and afterwards, um, and particularly with Japanese um, American experience with the trauma of internment, mm -hmm. um, and the divisions that that has created within the community mm -hmm. itself. Um, so I think we will see much more of these kind of more specialised memorials that deal with these layered traumas yeah. rather than just um, you know recognising that people fought and contributed. I think it will be about you know the specific experience. You know what was it like to be a woman in a conflict zone, mm -hmm. and I think we will see it won't be just you know, we're commemorating women who were nurses and and fought, but actually that specific experience of experiencing sexism and you know some of the, the trauma that they themselves experience as, as women yeah. um, coming to the fore in, in memorials. Let's talk a bit about your program that you run um, and the kind of conservation and the importance of it. Um, like, what's your take on that? Um, yeah, so the programme I work on is the First World War Memorials programme. Uh, is a government-run programme, but it's specifically conservation-focused. So the idea is that it's remembrance through um, preservation. The legacy is that these First World War memorials will be preserved for the next generation. Um, it's recognise seeks to recognise the fact that you know, the First World War was a huge part of British is a huge part of British cultural mm -hmm. identity and that these memorials play a role in it um, but because it takes such a conservation heavy approach then it doesn't necessarily um, allow people to engage with the memorials in a way that would you know they might want to so communities adding new names to memorials or you know uh, putting plaques on for you know future commemorations mm -hmm. because we're preserving them as a record of the First World War. Now, if communities want to do that, they have to go through you know, listed you know, listed building consent to be able to, to do that. Yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily a, a bad thing because that then it would open up for discussion. It doesn't listing a structure doesn't stop those changes being made. It just means that there will be more of a discussion around it before that will be allowed. And actually, that might not be a bad thing um, to you know, to force people to have those kind of open debates before a change, any changes are made. Mm. Um, and just finally, how do you think that memorialisation can help to facilitate a positive sense of national identity? Um, I think because, as we've touched on a little bit, I think because it opens up the discussions, because by putting up a memorial and having something that's seemingly permanent, it allows that space for discourse and it allows people to, you know, who don't feel protected, potentially not feel represented by memorials that are existing, to come forward and say, no, actually, I want this part of my identity to, to be you know, present on this memorial. Um, and I think which is why I like those memorials that are, you know, present more challenging, that aren't just uh, one set singular narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, but are open to multiple identities. And I think you know, going through that process can be quite a really you know, a useful tool for doing that.